We all know what my best is. Why are you laughing at me? That ain't right. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. I want to do my absolute best to make this uh, uh, in keeping with our timetable today. If everybody would, uh, open to Mark chapter 6. Now, we have been, when I've been here preaching and not interrupted by other matters or uh, uh, had uh, guests or what have you here, um, we have been talking about miracles. Today, we're going to talk about miracles. Last installment on this particular series. Last installment. And there's reasons for that. Uh, spiritual reasons. The Lord is speaking to your pastor about some things. And um, this will be the last word in this series concerning miracles. But we're coming out of Mark 6. This story is duplicated in Matthew's Gospel as well. I believe it's chapter 13. Um, and then in Luke chapter 3, there is another form, not of this story, but something similar that occurs as well. But in Mark 6, you're going to read something that's almost identical to what you find in Matthew's Gospel. And this is the word of the Lord through uh, the NIV uh, translation. It's going to be behind me if you don't have your Bible, physical or um, virtual. Jesus left there, 6-1, Mark's Gospel, and went to his hometown. Anybody here live somewhere else? Your hometown is somewhere else and you are a transplant or a move-in? Okay, anybody that way from completely out of the state of Texas. Okay, a whole bunch of you. Yeah, me too. Um, isn't it funny how after you live a place, live in a place for a while though, hometown is where you're at now? And quote, hometown, end quote, is only a reference that you make when you refer to where mom or dad live? You know? Yeah. Well, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Make note of that word, amazed. Make note of that. Many who heard him were amazed. The initial and immediate connotation that most of us, including myself, would take from that word is that these people were ooing and eyeing, right? It's like, wow, that is totally amazing. Okay? Make note of that. That word amazed. Moving on. Where did this man get these things? These things meaning what? Well, he's about to explain. They asked, what's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does Miracles, there's your these things. This wisdom and these miraculous capacities that he's displaying. Where did this man get these things? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. 
Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do many miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, verse 6, just the very opening sentence of verse 6. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Make note of that word, amazed, as well. So we've got two, well, one group and one individual amazed by this this meeting, this crossing of paths. Amazed. When you think of your life and you think of things that completely amaze you, get a picture in your mind right fast. Think about it. What amazes you? Everybody got a kind of an image, something they've seen in their past or something that they've done somewhere they've gone, and that was amazing. Guess what? Neither one of these means that. It's interesting here, and I'm, like I said, I'm going to do my dead level best to keep this brief today because of our schedule. But here's the thing. He goes into, Jesus enters the synagogue, and he begins to minister. Now, right here, and in Matthew's Gospel, nothing here says anything about him performing a miracle. It says that he said things and that the people heard him and were subsequently amazed, but at the same time were aware of his ability to perform the miraculous. Why do we know that? Because it says so. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom in the things he's saying that he even uh, does miracles? Is there anybody here who's a hometown kid? who did something that made your reputation known, good or bad, it'd be better if it was good. You know, we don't want, you know, but if, if, if you've done something that hasn't made you famous, but rather has made you infamous, okay, all right? But if, if you are an individual who has done something, my mind immediately goes to Jerry Caton. My mind immediately goes to Jerry Caton when I think of a hometown guy who did some stuff that everybody knew about. That's Jerry Caton. You see, if you don't know Jerry, Jerry's very soft-spoken, reserved, as is his wife. And they're kind of, they're, they're, they're very social individuals, but they're not very loud individuals. Okay? Well, back in the day, Jerry was a football player. As a matter of fact, Jerry was a quarterback, and Jerry was quite the thing around these here parts. Much to the, much to the uh, glee of many and the chagrin of a whole bunch of others. He was apparently, and this is long before my day, no intention, no, nothing intended there, Jerry. Long before I ever made it to Texas, that Jerry was quite a football player. Now, I'm sure that there, were, that there are stories that I could tell if I knew them, but I don't know them, so I'm just going to say he was a real football player. He had um, newspaper clippings, the whole nine yards. He was a thing. And what's funny is that the people during that time knew who Jerry Caton was. 
And people today from that era know who Jerry Caton was. Oh, yeah, I know Jerry. He was a fill-in-the-blank. Let's remember here that in our text, Jesus is in his hometown. And everybody there knows him. And when he shows up at the synagogue, it's kind of like someone you know real well shows up and decides to teach a Bible story. Only this Bible story is completely infused with the power and the wisdom of heaven itself and has the capacity to change people's lives through the miraculous power of God. A little different than flannel graph. Capiche? Well, this is what's happening in our setting today. Jesus goes home. The Sabbath rolls around. He gets into the synagogue and he begins to teach. And Everybody, all the home folk, everybody from around there are amazed. And what that means in the Greek is that they were utterly astonished that this guy had this stuff. And it wasn't a, wow, that is the best. That is so cool. Good for him. No, that's not what it was. It was Are you kidding me? What is he doing up there? What is this? Let me, let, me, let me show you some stuff. The word amazed in this initial verse here in verse 2 talks about how they were astonished at what he did. But listen now. The word amazed that Jesus expressed down here in verse 6 that word amazed means something completely different. We're going to get back to the home folk in just a minute, but I have to set this up. The word amazed here means, get a load of this. This is Jesus. This is Jesus being discredited by the home folk. Okay? And in response, Jesus is amazed. This amazed means to admire. It means to hold in admiration, to marvel at, and to wonder. So while the people listening to Jesus are astonished and essentially put off by this hometown kid coming home and doing these things, Jesus sits in admiration and marveling, wondering at what in the world are they believing. In short, the lack of faith that the Bible speaks of here that these people had in Jesus, the reaction to Jesus, or the reaction by Jesus was one where he, it blew his mind. Have you ever seen something so contrary to what is true and right where you just go, eyes wide open, eyebrows lifted, your hands up, you're shaking your head going, wow, that's truly amazing. That they would do slash believe that. Have you ever been there? Well, this is where Jesus is right now in reaction to the home folk where he's back where he is. He was literally awestruck by the complete absence of faith and the pervasiveness of doubt. Blown away. 
Jesus was known by these people. Now, I want you to consider this. Jesus was known by these people. The thing that should have moved them forward in faith. That's Jesus. We know we can believe in this. We can get on board with this. The thing that mo- that should have moved them forward in faith, this hometown boy's sterling reputation, because remember, he lived... He lived here for until he became an adult and moved out into the ministry. And these things that should have pushed them forward in faith, instead, pushed them away. And instead of trusting this transformation that they see in this man, Jesus, where he was once the carpenter's son, and now he's a prophet. Now he's a teacher. He's a powerful, miraculous works through him. Instead of trusting in that because they knew him, they couldn't get past his history and they couldn't get past his familiarity. Do you see that? Where they should have been able to trust him. They should have been able to get on board because they knew him. But instead, they couldn't get past the fact that they did know him. And this was not what they knew. I want to read this verse 3 from our text, from a um, translation known as the voice. This is what the people said in this translation. Now listen, they said this, isn't this Jesus, the little boy we used to see in Joseph's carpenter shop? Didn't he grow up to be a carpenter just like his father? Isn't he the son of Mary over there? And brothers James and Joseph, Judas and Simon and and their sisters? Who does he think he is? And when they had thought about it that way, they became indignant and listened to these words and closed themselves to his message. I want to read one more because it's really good. I want to read you the same exact passage from the message. The message says, But in the next breath they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter. Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, and Simon. And his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell, sprawling. And they never got any further. So, the amazement that the crowd experienced was a put off. Who does he think he is? I know you too well to accept this new thing that you're doing. This new stuff. I don't believe this. I don't buy into it. You're just the carpenter, son. You became a carpenter yourself. And this is only a year, year and a half in to this new thing. And I'm sorry, I don't buy it yet. Whereas Jesus, in hearing all this, he's amazed in that he's just like, wow, that is amazing. I, I, my mind is blown. I, I can't believe this. 
And what is the result? What is the result of that confrontation? He's in his hometown. He's around his relatives and in his own house. He's in his hometown, around his relatives, and in his house. And the Bible tells us in verse 5 of our text, he could not do any miracles there. Listen to this. Comma. Listen to this. Except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Tanner, leave that up there for me. He could not do any miracles there. This is Jesus, disabled. He, he, Jesus, Emmanuel, God made flesh, the theanthropic man. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Is anybody amazed by that? Is is anybody amazed by that? You see, here's the thing about this Six verses in Mark 6 that we need to remember. There is a, a symbiotic relationship. One needs the other to survive. And that relationship is symbiotic between faith and the miraculous. These are people going to synagogue. In his hometown, amongst his relatives, remember the four brothers are there. So are the sisters. They're there. One translation says, isn't this Mary's boy over there? Pointing her out that she's in audience. At home, among his relatives, in his own house. And he could not do any miracles there, eh, except lay hands on a few sick and heal them. There's a symbiotic relationship here where faith must be present in order for the miraculous to manifest. Faith has to be the foundation, the bulwark. The underpinning of the miraculous. You see, everywhere else he went, never once does it say he could not do any miracles there. Find me another one other than like, let's just be honest, Matthew 13, which is the exact same story. Everywhere else where he shows up, the miraculous happens. These are people in synagogue gathered there 
like good Jews, going through the routine of someone picking up a scroll or having a scroll handled, handed to them, and they open it and they read the Word of God. And yet, because, and Jesus is amazed by their lack of faith, because they are there hearing God's Word, yet possessing no faith, tells us that this group of people had nothing vital going on in their heart and in their spirit concerning the God of their faith. Nothing was real. It was religion and it was static. And because it was static, it was stagnant. Our faith is one that moves. It is a flowing faith. It moves in and it goes out. It comes in, it goes out. It comes in, it goes out. There will be, Jesus' words, rivers of living water pouring into you and staying there. Rivers of living water flowing out from you. That's the description of your faith. And yet these people were so catastrophically faithless, there wasn't even enough in the room for Jesus to perform any miracles. It was a faith vacuum. Their lack of acknowledgement for what God was doing through this individual, their lack of acknowledgement was such that any faith that needed to be there, that maybe was there, in order for Christ to do what Christ came to do, had been sucked out of the environment. And he was, listen to the word, powerless to perform the miraculous. You want to know how extreme the symbiotic relationship is between faith and the miraculous? I've said it a hundred times. I'm going to blow by this. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to skip off it, and I'm going to move forward. Jesus was surrounded by a crowd of people. We all know the woman with the issue of blood. We know the story. Surrounded, being crushed. He's, he, I always like to say that, you know, arms pinned to the side, and he's doing those little Tim, uh, what's his name from the Carol Burnett show? Uh, little, little, t- huh? Tim Conway steps when he's, they're just moving along like this. There's so many people crushed in. He, everybody is, I believe the King James uses the word thronging him. And this desperate, sick, last stages, holding on by a thread woman, shows up, wiggles her way through the crowd, gets just enough of him that it's just his clothing And that maneuver, (coughs) excuse me, that maneuver by itself activated the power of God and Jesus didn't even know it because he said, who touched me? He didn't even know it. The relationship is absolute. Faith has to be present for the miraculous to manifest. How do we get faith? 
The Bible is explicitly clear. Every single person in this room knows this verse. Every one of you knows it. The Bible states clearly that faith comes by hearing God's Word. That's how you get faith. Faith comes by hearing God's Word. And faith must be present for the miraculous to manifest. So if you're hearing God's Word, but not accepting God's Word, You're hearing, to the, you're hearing the preacher's voice. You hear the, the layers of frequencies that comprise his or her voice. But you don't accept it. Your heart is hardened to it. You won't receive. Therefore, there is no faith. Then the faith keeps the, the lack of faith keeps the miracles at bay. The people in Mark chapter 6, they had a unique opportunity. It wasn't a simple case of them just being able to hear the word of God preached to them or spoken to them by Jesus in the synagogue. They had the opportunity to hear the word of God speak the word of God. I want you to try to wrap your head around why Jesus' mind was so blown. And Jesus wasn't an egotist, okay? So eliminate that. But imagine being the Son of God, the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, on a mission that was established from before the foundations of the world, And you get reduced to, isn't that the carpenter's kid? It reminds me of the Samaritan woman at the well. He says to her, if you had any idea who you were talking to right now. If you had any idea who you were talking to right now. And Jesus is in the synagogue. And I know you can't hear this over the... The, the recording or on the podcast, but Jesus is sitting there doing this, literally. Mouth agape, eyes wide open, in utter and perfect disbelief. Faith is substance and evidence according to the Word of God. Right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the, it's the substance. Faith is this. It's the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence. There is a something that is left behind for people to find, proving. It is faith and evidence. That's what faith is. Faith is substance and evidence. 
Miracles, by definition, remember way back in the first Sunday in January, faith, by definition, is an indicator. It indicates. It points its way to something else. Remember? It points us to something else. So if faith comes by hearing the word of God and faith in that instant becomes substance and evidence, I believe what that says. I believe that message. I believe and it becomes substance and evidence because my life is now different based on that word. Jesus' hometown could have been revolutionized and made different. <coughs> because there could have believed in what he said, regardless of who he was. And the substance and the evidence of their faith could have transformed them, because then the faith would have been present for the indications to happen. The miracles. Showing who this God was. The God that they proclaim ancestrally, historically, but not vitally, not vibrantly, not in their living, not in their life. They know it legally, but they don't know Him life-wise. And so, faith is substance. I believe that. It's evidence. It, I believe this. Miracles only happen in an atmosphere of faith in what is, has been said through the speaking and subsequent hearing of the Word of God. But, man, there's a scripture in 1 Samuel. I don't, it's not going to be up here, so you're going to need to find it if you want to look at it. I'll give you just a second. It's 1 Samuel chapter 3. And it's the second half of verse 1. <clears throat> and I'm getting really close to closing down, okay? So I'm doing my best to, to keep my word with you here. I just was... I'm thankful for God's timing. Because God's timing is perfect. And He was depositing this message, this this six verses into my spirit when I heard a sermon just Thursday or Friday, I think it was Friday, by Stephen Furtick. And if you don't know Stephen Furtick, you need to find him. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and he referenced this text, 1 Samuel 3.1. And in the second half, I guess roughly half of that verse, it says this. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And what happens when the word of the Lord is rare? Faith. Faith dives because the faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. So if there's no word of the Lord, there's no faith being grown. Thank you. Thank you, E.G. 
so here, this is the time where Samuel is little. He's young. And he's, there's, there's, the word of the Lord is virtually non-existent. And there weren't very many, there weren't any visions. Very few. It's very few. There, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions and he could not do any miracles there. Except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. You know what that says to me? This is a cyclical thing. That God's people suffer from this malady of a lack of faith because they have dis they they have they have taken God's word out of the 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 formula and as a result faith depletes and when faith depletes then God doesn't speak God doesn't perform God it's not because God's mad it's because his people have shut him away How many of you have seen a miracle? I mean the kind that blows your mind right out of your cranium. When was the last time? The word of the Lord was rare. You know what's funny? The word of the Lord isn't rare. Not today. The word of the Lord isn't rare. It's not rare at all. You guys come in here weekly, sometimes three times a week, just here. That doesn't have anything to do with you turning on your radios or watching the television and seeing a multitude of sermons, reading books, blah, blah. You get it. Blah, blah, blah. The word of the Lord is not rare. But isn't it interesting how the Western 21st century church still has a lack of vision and a conspicuous absence of the miraculous. Isn't it interesting? And I'm not picking on any... I'm not, I am speaking on behalf of the Lord today. You might as well look at this as prophetic. You might just as well. Okay? Because prophets operate in foretelling... Events that have not yet transpired. And they operate in forth-telling. That is, speaking the word of the Lord. Those are prophet offices. Those are prophet duties. I'm operating as a prophet. Know this. The church world today lacks vision. And it has a conspicuous absence of the power of God manifesting. In their midst... And through their midst. Except for a few folk every once in a while. Except for when we lay hands on a few sick people. And they get healed. And there's the occasional individual that has a vision. 
And you know what's concerning, concerning to me? Is I think we've accepted that as biblical. I think we've accepted that. This is what God wants. Because, oh, sister so-and-so, ooh, she got saved, mm, and she got healed. My God in heaven, we had good church. trying to come to a close, I promise. I promise you I'm trying to come to a close. The Lord is in our presence. Okay. Do you believe that? When he's here, look at me, everybody looking at me. When he's here, he's in his hometown, among his relatives, at his house. And a prophet receives honor everywhere he goes, except at home. What are we going to do to turn that around? Amen. Yeah? What are we going to do to turn that around? And I don't mean I have to have two-hour-long services here. Don't anybody say something about my preaching. <laughs> don't you dare. I don't mean we have to have two-hour services where we're all shouting and jumping and people's hair is flying around like, and falling out. and trembling. I'm talking about people operating in the power of God because they have the faith to believe what they faith has come by hearing their faith is substance and evidence and that substance and evidence manifests itself in a bold proclamation that cannot be stifled and when he decides to manifest himself and have miracles there he can he can right because he can but right now we have to understand he's at he's at the house he's with the family And the prophet doesn't get any honor there. And I'm not talking about you. I am talking about you. I'm talking about me too. I'm talking about the church in this country. Yep. Not all of them. There are wonderful places where pockets of people are just going. And all the Lord is trying to do is take everything that you've got in your life. Listen to me. God has, God has poured so much into this body. Yes. This body is rich yes. in word. All we have to do is begin praying this prayer. Simple prayer. God, make my belief in your word real and vital. Simple prayer. That's all it is. Make my belief in your word that thing that is substance and evidence so that it manifests in my living. In my living. That's all we want. 
you know what? And you won't walk outside of here after praying that and, and just heal, pull some person out of, the, out of a, a casket. You're not going to. But maybe that vital living, that thing where I believe what you're saying in your word, that may change something in your own personal life to move you closer to maturity in Christ. Because, man, I'm going to be honest with you, we love to hold on to our flaws. I'm leaving that point right now. Everybody say, thank God. (laughs) Praise the Lord. He's leaving that alone. Who's hungry? I'm talking about physically hungry. I'm not talking about spiritually hungry. Yeah, well, I got one person say I'm spiritually hungry, so okay. We might as well go physically hungry. Who's hungry? I am. I want Jesus. Everybody else is going, no, not so much. Who here is hungry? There is, it's almost the top of the hour if my watch is correct. Let's all stand together. God is speaking a word to us. Oh, man, I just realized I forgot about the water. God is speaking a word to his church. And he wants his church to not be this home, that hometown that was up there a minute ago. He, doesn't, he wants us to be a people Who lives life with substance and evidence. Man. What was, what's the, the words of that old song? Helpless, helpless abandonment in him. Helpless abandonment. Pray that prayer. God, make what I know, make what I hear, living and vital in my life. Because I want to be someone that w- would find their name in the, bu- in the book. I want to find my name in the book. I want to be that person. I want to be a person who loves you so much, believes in everything that you do so much that I'm not going to sit on you. I'm not going to call you the carpenter. I'm not going to go, I've heard that message. I've heard that Bible story. That's been preached here for decades. B.W. used to preach that. Gary preached it after him. Now you're preaching it. An evangelist came through a few years ago. This Bible teacher, I've read that in a book. No, 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 no. Don't reduce him to a carpenter. He's Jesus Messiah. Father, we love you. We glorify your name in all the earth. We exalt you. Lord, I'm thankful and I'm grateful to you for what you do in our lives. And Father, the fact that you are transforming us into the image of the Son of God. You are. That's Bible and we can count on that. So Father, I just ask that you would help every one of us to to, uh, begin praying this prayer daily. Lord, I want to be living what I'm reading, living what the preacher's preaching. I want to live this, not just in quiet passivity, isolation. No, I want to be, I want to make a noise for you in the area that I have influence over. I want to be an influence. Father, I pray that we all pray that, a transformative prayer from our heart to change us so that we don't reduce you to just a carpenter. But, Lord God, that we can, we can see you as Jesus Christ, Son of God, resurrected. Mm, mm, mm. Father, I just pray that you would do this right now in Jesus' name.